This is Mac Loudermilk, and you're listening to Three Night Bender. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Three Night Bender. This is Boozos, and it's very awkward because I'm usually not the one giving the intro. Uh, but we have a substitute teacher coming in to fill in for our boy Todd Hauser. Uh, we got Stephen Diagostino. He was on our show last year. Uh, someone I've known most of my life. He is actually one of the original brain children of the Three Night Bender podcast. So just wanted to thank him for coming in and doing the show with me today. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not as handsome or probably as smart as Todd and well actually I have nothing over Todd so this is a huge downgrade for you but um I I am keeping the spirit of the show I am I am several beers deep so I am I have a healthy buzz going and I think I will try my best and it will be okay so we'll see but thanks for having me man no of course thank you and what are you drinking just out of curiosity there's a bodega around the corner from my apartment here it's a Japanese bodega so i'm drinking an okinawan premium draft beer called orion it basically tastes like japanese uh coors light but it's awesome so uh yeah that's what i'm rolling with tonight meanwhile i am actually going to be partaking in a little german deliciousness uh this upcoming weekend is supposed to be the op- opening of oktoberfest so i decided oh, that r.i.p R.I.P. First time since World War II that Oktoberfest was canceled. So I opened myself up a nice little bottle of Tucker Hefeweizen, which is a German-style beer, uh, in solidarity for such a lost, amazing event. So it's a tough week. It's a tough week for you because Oktoberfest got canned, and then you lost to me in fantasy football this week. I wasn't going to talk. Is, are you which fucking, is are you, are you, uh, which is tough. You're going to bring that up. Really? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's the UCF Twitter Mafia Fantasy Football League, and I, uh, yes, of course, I'm going to bring that up. Thank you for that. I was trying, <laughs> I was trying to ignore it for the next week, but that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, you had a freaking great yeah. game. Of course, when you have Russell Wilson throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns, it makes it pretty Listen, easy to win. Any any game, any game that Saquon Barkley runs for six yards and he still wins is a good is a good week for me. So I'll take it. Yeah, you got lucky. Um, so speaking of games. <laughs> You know, we had a, a slew of ACC games that occurred, obviously, week one and week two. We got a, some good matchups coming up, but just kind of wanted to run down through some of those games. So we had Southern uh, uh, SMU, uh, so Southern Methodist, played Texas State, squeaked by. I watched that game. It had one of the best catches to start the year by a Texas te- uh, by a Texas State receiver, one-handed back of the end zone as he's falling backwards. It was freaking amazing. It was a Sports Center top ten play. Uh, Navy gets straight spanked by BYU. 55 to 3. That was violent. It was violent. Sexual violent. and violent. Um, it was a violent game. BYU looks like the real deal, man. Like, I know there were some rumors online about actually trying to add them to our schedule this year. Shoot, that would be a. If they play like that every week, that would be a huge boost to our schedule, that's for sure. It, it's tough, though, because, you know, and, and, I, and you know me, I, I am a huge proponent and supporter of having the military academies in our conference because I get to, I could talk about this for a whole episode you know like college football is all about brands and I get it the military academies are not going to produce elite talent 
year in, year out, but it's hard to find a more notable and impressive brand that's not in a P5 already that we could have than, you know, Army and Navy. So I love that Navy's in their conference. However, the fact of the matter is they're going to have these down years where they just don't have elite athletes to run what they run. And I think it's pretty apparent this year they're down. So BYU looks good, but I, I think I'm going to hold off on uh, on 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 here on, on uh, praising them too much until I see a little more. But um, yeah, tough week for uh, tough week for the midshipmen. Agreed. Memphis over Arkansas State, 37-24. was a little bit closer than I expected. I mean, Arkansas State's a good program. We can't take. I mean, they they are good. We we got that first hand yeah. back in 2016 when they beat us in Frost's first year in the bowl game. Um, yeah, you know, between, uh, you know, uh, Memphis looked looked okay. I mean, SMU, that performance was pretty inexcusable, especially because we've been hearing so much about Shane Bichelle, you know, that, you know, the, the QB down there is allegedly supposed to be the best quarterback in the, in the conference. I mean, they looked really mediocre against the Texas State team. That's not great. But like you said, Arkansas State's not bad. I mean, I think, I think they've made a bowl game every year for like the last six years. So, um, I'm not, yeah, Memphis going to be really good this year. Um, you, you know, I'm right that close game off to maybe some jitters, but, um, yeah, SMU, I, we'll see how they do this week against North Texas, but I don't, I, I am a little disappointed after hearing so much hype. I agree. Uh, the West central Florida cows over Citadel set 27, six, and then, uh, Tulane, uh, Barely squeaking out over South Alabama, twenty-seven, twenty-four. Although I will say, I went, I got a chance to go to the South Alabama um, campus last summer, and it was freaking beautiful. Like they have some nice facilities. They have, a, they definitely have a program that is uh, on the rise and can really make some noise over the next few years. They have a good vision, but still inexcusable for a team like Tul- uh, Tulane that everyone's been talking about recently as being an up-and-coming team in the AAC. Yeah, I mean South Alabama. They, I think. They they played Nebraska pretty good. Uh, was it last year or two years ago? Yep. Um, but I mean, this this South Alabama team is still um, a pretty hefty amount away from being competitive. I mean, if you, I mean, they won. Uh, other than that tight game with Nebraska last year, I mean, they won two games. So um, yeah, it stinks because I think the conference is so much better. If Tulane would be so much better if Tulane was good. I mean, Tulane is a lot of people forget was in the SEC. They're about as blue blood as you can get for our conference, really. Um, and so you have that brand do well. It would be great for us. Not to mention, they really fit into that city mold of that our conference is kind of going for. You know, where you know we really don't have any schools that are that are in small college towns. And I think a lot of fans love that. So especially you know taking the away trip to new orleans i mean can you imagine if that was actually a competitive game that meant something you know seeing a you know a nice nice high energy crowd in new orleans for our conference but i mean i yeah like you said i this this they can't get out of their own way it feels like you're just waiting for them to turn a corner it's never happened so a little disappointing and so we'll see agreed and arguably in my opinion one of the best uniforms and helmets in college football fantastic amazing and i hate to admit it because you know, I as as a UCF fans, we we're spoiled, and you know we have the best uniforms ever. But yeah, the angry wave is tough to beat. It's it's it, that's a handsome uniform. Absolutely. And so now we got week three coming up. Got a couple days until we start week three of college football. Got Tulane versus Navy. Obviously, the first interconference game uh, that we have to worry about. 
I got Tulane. My money's on Tulane on this game, especially after the showing the midshipmen, but you can never count out any team that runs the triple option. Yeah, I mean, Tulane runs runs their own version. It's a little more exciting. It's going to be a pretty slow game, in my opinion. I, I, I got Tulane here as well. So, Austin P versus Cincy. Should be a blowout. I mean, Austin P played us pretty tough a couple years ago. I mean, they put on more points in a quarter than most teams did in the entire season two years ago. Um, still, you know, a small one double A team versus Cincinnati, who a lot of people are predicting to actually overcome UCF this year and be the conference champion. Yeah, I mean, if, if any way you cut it, since you should blow Austin P out. But listen, I'm a fan of Austin P. You know, since we you played him a few years back, you know, I'm a I'm a big peer. Is that is that what Austin P. Fans are called? If not, they should be <laughs> the peers, peers. The peers. The pe- I'm a pe- I'm a peer. I'm a peer. A big peer. Um. Yeah. I mean, what are we talking about here? Since he since he goes big, but um, I I I do like I do like the peas. Tulsa, Oklahoma State, the Cowboys Should, versus the Hurricanes. I'm so tired of hearing about Tulsa, and you know we we talked to you know our buddy Chris and there's Salonia. There's plenty of other AC AAC fans that you know I think would be more than happy if Tulsa just mysteriously got swapped out for somebody else. Agreed, hundred um, percent. Yeah, goodness, what are we doing? How did they sneak in? Um, yeah, give me yeah the yeah the poke yeah go pokes Cowboys steamroll there. A game I'm actually kind of looking forward to watching this weekend is going to be Houston versus Baylor. I mean Baylor obviously showed that they're back on the rise after all that sanctions when Art Briles was their coach. Um, have a lot of talent on that team. Now we'll see if they can bounce back because the coach that built them back up, uh, Matt Brule, left for the NFL. He's going to be head coach of the Carolina Panthers this year. So we'll see if that consistency stays through, but still a very talented football team going against obviously Houston that's very talented, but also losing one of their key players in uh, Eric King, who is now playing for Miami. Which like Miami fans just conveniently worship Derek King as if you know he's going to lead into a national title. Meanwhile, for years, just bash every G five team ever, and it's just you know wax poetic about this talent divide that's simply a fantasy but yeah well they'll take De'Aaron King and act like they have John Elway again so or you know have John Elway so um it's a bunch of nonsense Houston's I mean obviously last year they had a really rough year Baylor's probably gonna win this game they were the second best team in the Big 12 last year I think the thing that frustrates me the most is that this game was put together entirely last minute um and this is something that's plagued UCF for a long time you know like this Ah, uh, we can't we can't get marquee teams because they're telling us that they're booked out for years in advance. I think a lot of that is true. But what this tells me is that if a P five team wants to schedule a game, it it will happen. And so, you know, for this this game to come to fruition in a little over a week's time, when you know, week that could have been us with FSU, that could have been us with Miami. Now. We know why it isn't, because we're really good this year. Houston's down. FSU, as you saw last weekend, uh, down as well. So it has nothing to do most of the time, I feel like, with scheduling far in advance. And this game just proves it. So I see this game, and it frustrates the hell out of me. Uh, but good for the Cougs, man. I hope I hope they steal one here, and that'll make us look better once we uh, get a hold of them later in the year. You couldn't have said that any better. I, when I first saw this pop up as an actual newly scheduled game, I almost blew a gasket. 
know yeah, you want exactly to throw that. things, yeah? It's like, yeah. I mean, obviously, like you said, there's a reason why. I mean, Houston is obviously on the down there. Might take them another year or two before they can get back to where they were going. But, yeah, just so frustrating because we, we, we obviously have history with Baylor. So it'd be, it would have been really cool to like, touch back on that and say, you know, rematch from 2013 – you know, the, the Baylor Bears are back. UCF is, you know, trying to climb up to the national title, you know, pedestal. Let's get that going. That would have been a freaking awesome game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the other the other obvious thing as well is, you know, Houston being in a large market, a large recruiting ground, you know, on paper, you would think Baylor would, would not want to give them a shot simply because Baylor, you know, you're going to get better talent out of Houston than you are in Waco. Um, and we, we've been fighting that similar battle in Florida. You know, no one wants to give the Orlando school, which is a huge central Florida recruiting hotbed, a foothold, you know, and the optics of us beating a Florida FSU and kids could just stay at home and play for a better team. So the fact that this happened, I don't, it, it really bothers me. And, uh, I don't, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow seeing on the schedule, but here we are. So, so the next game, I mean, I'm so tempted to bet the big way with USF as a 27.5-point underdog to Notre Dame at Notre Dame. But that'll be also an interesting game. Obviously, a huge marquee team like Notre Dame choosing to take on USF, who obviously just says, well, everyone else is beating the living dog crap out of them. We can use an easy win, so let's take it ourselves. But would you bet on 27.5? That's tough. I mean... I mean, that is a pretty wide margin. And I mean, I don't, I mean, Notre Dame is not this like explosive powerhouse offense. That's, you know, I mean, I think they're going to handle USF pretty well. Um, but it is, it, it, I don't know. That's a tough line, but you know what? I mean, like, like I'll probably have a couple of beers this Saturday and I'll probably, my hatred will just fester and I'll probably end up slamming, slamming some money down on it. Um, you know, I, my favorite thing is that, Bulls fans are going to sit here and act like, you know, they stole this scheduling thing from us and, you know, like, oh, yeah, we got, we're playing Notre Dame three times. I mean, like, can we just talk about, like, you're not playing Notre Dame three times. Like, they're not coming to Tampa. They're going to buy the game out. You're going to end up going to South Bend twice, if that. They're probably going to buy that game out, too. Like, like we know how this works. We've seen it happen all the time, you know. So, I'm tired of hearing all that nonsense. Like, let's put that to bed right now like you guys are just getting you know fcs played right here and let's not act like it's anything else than that so yeah the the irish are gonna win big this saturday and i will enjoy it so last one i'll talk about that's not involving ucf directly is finally smu versus north texas which you made a mention to you know the the mean green team that's been on the up and up like they have a really good young coach They've got some talent over there. You know, they've been surprising some people and playing some really close games against big opponents. What do you think of them? And how do you think uh, Shane Bruchel actually plays against that defense? Um, the North Texas offense last few, few years has been has been awesome to watch. So, you know, if we're going to, I think they're going to be a little more, um, a little more potent of an offense than what Texas State had for SMU. I mean, this could this has all the workings for a pretty good shootout. Um, and I think it's going to be another good test for SMU. We'll, we'll see if that week one game was just a, you know, wake up game a little bit. And if SMU puts them away, I think I'll have a little more respect, um, you know, after hearing all the hype behind the Mustangs this year. Uh, but until then we'll see, I think it's going to be close again. So probably give it to SMU though. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think SMU still pulls it out, but I think it should be a pretty high-scoring game. I'm, int- I'm intrigued to watch that one, too. Um, so going into the UCF preview, obviously, you know, we had a down year compared to the previous two. You know, we go undefeated in 2017. We lose one game in 2018 to LSU. We knocked the Heisman into Joe Burrow. And then a little bit of a down year, losing three games by a total of seven points last year. So, you know, 2019 record, we go 10-3, and three, two of those losses in conference to a game at Cincinnati that we should have won. Even bigger disappointment losing to Tulsa, at Tulsa, but still should never have happened. So we end the year ranked 24th in the AP poll. Um, offense, top five potent, uh, in terms of potentness in the nation, 43.5 points per game. Defense puts up 23 points per game, which is more in the bottom 40, uh, but still – you know, very, very solid, a young, a young defense that we'll get into in a little bit on the back half. Um, and Heupel is going into his third year at 22-4. and four. So we're going to get into a little bit of the meat of this team, talking a bit about, um, you know, some of the differences we're going to see in this 2020 team. Obviously, COVID pretty big, causing some players to sit out that we'll get into, some transfers we got in, and then we'll kind of go position by position at what we're looking at for this year. Um, so why don't you start off, you know, we had 10 sit-outs. It's the most in, in Division One college football FBS um, the two big notables are DJ Mack and Tay Gowan. What's your thoughts on that, Steve? Um, you know, like those those guys are have been such an important part of our team. You know, especially DJ. I think a lot of people love DJ. I love DJ. Um, I what he was able to do do for us and step up in a time where we needed him and win a conference title. I mean, he's fun to watch. There's a, a I think a large part of a lot of people that want to believe that if he was given the opportunity. You know, and I think DG is the right guy. You know, how could he not be? But, I mean, you could – I mean, I think Matt could easily have grown into the position and been super successful as well. So, it's a tough call. But, like, what's the kid going to do? Like, you got to know that he's, he's, he's talented. He could win football games at a high level. I mean, you can't blame him for wanting to sit out. And I think everyone knows he's probably going to look somewhere else next year. So, and that's fair. And I, what do you, what do you say to that? How, how could you be upset or doubt that, you know, he's, he's great. He's done great things for us. Um, exactly. Situationally, I don't think it makes sense. So that's fine. And, you know, Tay, it sounds like, you know, he's, someone's telling him somewhere that he's got pretty good draft stock for him to enter right now. And, uh, you know, I think he's looking at it from that perspective. I know he wrote about his daughter and that was the main concern that's a big loss for us, but luckily, you know, our, our defensive unit's pretty stacked, you know, as far as like their DBs. So I think we'll be okay. Um, but th- it is certainly a, a, a bummer to not have those guys. Agreed. I was really excited to see what take Allen was going to do with Brandon Moore on the other side and the two safeties that we have. I mean, you could argue with take Allen in the starting lineup. That's the best secondary in college football. And it's really hard to say that there's anybody that would top it. Um, and I agree hundred percent with you on DJ Mack. You know, he's a, kid that everyone's been rooting for i have a dj mac jersey in my closet that i had custom made before the fiesta bowl um and he's got the capability of being a starter somewhere it just so happens that we have one of the better quarterback rooms in the nation and you know being able to transfer somewhere and not lose a year of eligibility and then make himself you know make a name for himself for the next two years and get himself in position to be an nfl draft because you know the kid's big he's strong he's fast he's got legs he's got a rocket arm he's definitely got the capability and the tools to be a successful player at the next level um, so excited to see what happens to both of them. You know, we wish them the best, obviously. But, you know, to replace some of these guys leaving, we have some good talent coming in. We had 
one of the better transferring off seasons than we've had in a very long time. We get multiple kids that are three and four star from power five programs um, coming into our program. Marcus Tatum from the offensive line transfers in from Tennessee who I think can make an immediate impact on that offensive line. You've got Devod Wilson from Georgia, Jaden Francois from Nebraska, RJ Harvey, who is a local kid for here in the Orlando area, played for Edgewater High School, was a stud quarterback for that team. I got to watch him firsthand. That kid was an athlete and transfers down to be a running back here at UCF. And then another big name from a team that likes to run their mouth about UCF, a former Gator, Deontay Marks, leaves the Gator program and joins UCF. So, five really talented kids that can come in and make a big impact for us. Yeah. And that, that's such a, you know, that's such a good indicator of where your program is. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal barometer. And I mean, what that should tell anyone that's paying attention is that, you know, if, if the, if the narrative is that basically all G five teams are just these kind of like, pod level teams that just are there to get either a buy game out and just are warm up games. And then any good talent gets sniped. Like we're taking talent from, we're, ta- we're taking talent from South like sec teams. We're taking talent from the Gators. Like you have a kid coming in from Nebraska, which you would think like a kid from Nebraska has Scott Frost there. Like, why would he leave? You know, like, it would have to be a pretty powerful magnetism for him to want to leave somewhere where they, you know what you know frost is not like telling him to leave if anything he's trying to play it down so this this past off season you know like and i'm you know I me mean? i'm not like i'm not a big recruiting guy i'm not a big transfer guy like to me until people get on the field and make, and make plays and have a performance then i get interested but just the optics of what we were able to haul in this off season i think is a huge indicator of where our program is right now and i think Every UCF fan should be elated about it. Absolutely. And so going into the offense, you know, mentioned some statistics earlier. This offense last year obviously changed. You know, we have we had some big losses with Gabriel Davis jumping into the NFL, getting drafted by the Bills, catching the very first pass of the uh, Bills offensive year. Um, so I think he could be an impact rookie for them. So, you know, a small hit there, but still a very talented offense that averaged 43.5 points per game. Um, four, 541 yards a game. This is an offense with some explosive talent across the board, and a lot of them are back. So starting off a little bit with the quarterbacks, I think even with the loss of Max Still, arguably the deepest quarterback room in the nation, with Dylan Gabriel coming in back as a starter, um, had a phenomenal freshman year, throws for 29 touchdowns, over 3,000 yards, great completion percentage as a, as a true freshman who is also being recruited by university of Georgia and I believe army. And I think USC army. as well. So you have, which that would have been such a waste. Like, Oh yeah. Everyone should just be happy that he did not go to army, including army. Right. I think army should be, if, I mean, how, like you look at the deep ball threat and like the, pre- the precision and, you know, what this kid's able to do with his arm to think he could have ended up at army and no one would have ever known. It's just, like depressing to think about so you know thank goodness he's with us man what a how brutal would that have been so g may we have another kid who's local played at jones high school quandry jones who i've always loved i thought he was a very underrated quarterback in our in our room transfers you're out not of the, the only one he's got like a, like quandry's a cult following amongst ucf fans absolutely i mean like, I'm, in, I'm in like so many group chats where people are just like oh it's jones time you know like there's like you know people that love him and so 
you know, you hear, I, I know on the message boards, there's always kind of like these mysterious scouting reports that pop up and, you know, they talk about how good this kid is. And, um, you know, listen, at the end of the day, I th- what is he one for one? He's a hundred percent completion right now. I mean, that's elite. That's, that's as elite as and you can't get any more elite. Like, you know, so we'll see. I mean, I, maybe he I'm is, on the quandary drones wagon. He is know. literally, we'll find out. he is literally perfect. You can't be literally better. perfect. And um, yeah. he's he, and he's now one play away from after leaving the program and coming back, you know, getting back in the graces of the team. He's one play away from being the starting quarterback of this UCF offense. So really excited for his opportunity. And then finally, like you can talk about cult heroes. You've got Mackenzie Milton, who has made the ultimate comeback in college football. His story is arguably one of the most inspiring sports stories you'll ever find out there. And from hearing from Hypo is apparently possibly just a couple weeks away from actually coming back and throwing a pass on this offense. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's such an incredible story that a, he was, you know, able to, to not only like, I mean, walk again, but keep his leg. I mean, this was such a devastating injury and for him to make it back, you know, doesn't matter what happens next. It's a huge success story for him to be where he is at now. Um, obviously I would love to watch him suit up again and play, especially at UCF. But I think a conversation, a lot of Knights fans should be quietly having, and and I know it's tough to think about, but I mean, if, if Dylan Gabriel's playing lights out, I mean, how did, what do you do with KZ? I mean, you can't deny the kid the opportunity to play. Obviously he's got to play somewhere. You know, there, I think there might be a chance, like maybe he plays with somebody else. And so, you know, as, as heartbreaking as that would be, you kind of almost have to be like, listen, man, like, you go do your thing. I mean, he's given so much to the program. If that ends up being the situation, as much of a bummer as it would be that he wouldn't finish it at UCF, um, you know, I think at this point everyone just wants to watch him play again. You know, uh, the guys, the guys, like you said, he's like a folk hero for us. So, uh, you know, I don't think anybody would – well, they would be sad, but you know, I don't. How could anyone be disappointed with that decision? When that, I mean, honestly, it could be a realistic one that's made. You know, so we'll see what happens. Agreed. And then we've got uh, the running backs. I think one of the strength of this entire team. When you look across the board of who we have coming back, you got Otis Anderson, the true Swiss Army knife of a running back in this offense. Greg McRae, who just a couple years ago ran for a thousand yards and was the first thousand yard back we had since Latavius Murray. Uh, Bentavious Thompson, who I have said numerous times in this show, I am a massive fan of. I think he can be the next huge back here at UCF going into now his junior year. So I really think after, you know, the problem is he's just been had all these stacked running backs in front of him between Killens, uh, Anderson, and McCray. And then Demarius Good, who I'm going to tell people right now, don't sleep on this kid. Local kid played for Lake Brantley High School um, and I think is the next up-and-coming running back to be right behind Bentavious. I think the whole offense could really be categorized as a Swiss army knife. I mean, it's just, you know, this, like, I mean, it's just, you're spoiled with what you have. And, um, it's amazing to watch it week in and week out. The running back unit is a ton of fun. Um, they're all good kids. They're all very, very, they all play at a very high level. Like you said, I mean, on this depth chart, you have Bentavious Thompson at three, but, that kid could be a lead back pretty much anywhere in college football. And, you know, um, I think like you said as well, he's going to have his day. I think he's going to be massive for us. The fact that he's, you know, in the mix here just is a testament to how deep the running back core is. So yeah, it's a huge weapon. Super excited to see what they do again this year. 
Agreed. And now we got wide receivers. You know, I, I mentioned earlier we lose Gabe Davis, but it doesn't feel. I mean, it feels like a loss. But looking at this running at this wide receiver depth chart, it doesn't feel like it's going to hurt as much as maybe it could have a couple years ago when you've got Marlon Williams, who had a breakout year last year. Uh, Trey Nixon obviously was huge for us last year as a number two receiver who gets the opportunity to possibly be the number one guy. Jacob Harris, who is a massive target. Um, and Jalen Robinson, who didn't really play, I believe, I believe because of the transfer rules last year, but he was the guy coming from Oklahoma who's the speedster. Um, really deep wide receiver room that has a ton of talent and speed. And then maybe we have that kid Deontay Marks, the transfer from Florida, depending on his eligibility, might be able to help contribute to this offense as well. Yeah, I think the wide receiver unit is still very dangerous. I mean, I mean Trey, Trey's phenomenal. We've seen enough of him to know how good he is. Marlon, I mean, Marlon kind of reminds me of, you know, like uh, LaVisca Chanel in Jacksonville right now. Like the guy is so big. He's like a running back. And so it's like you have a running back that has top end speed and great hands. It's like this guy gets a ball in the middle of the field and then he's just running downhill. I mean, it's so it's so weird and fun to watch. You know, we, I don't UCF hasn't had a player like that before. So, you know, it's it's a nice variety of weapons, but I think you know, like not having a bailout wide receiver like we've seen the last few years, you know, like Traquan, you know, and Gabe Davis, you know, I think it's going to be a, a nice test for DG. Like, you know, it's not like he's, he's stricken and has, he still has weapons, but he's not going to have that like eject cord target, you know? Exactly. So, um, you know, well, I, I think DG will rise to that. Like, I think everything we've seen so far, especially in the, in the spring, like, I think he's ready. And, you know, I, I have there's no indicator that the wide receiver unit is going to hold him down. And if he's progressed, how we, I think we all know he has this wide receiver unit is going to be dangerous. One hundred percent. And I just also want to throw out, I, I saw the roster earlier today and I was pretty excited to see a name. Kevin Bird, who actually played for Lake Howell uh, when I was coaching at Lake Howell my first year, two years ago. And last year played for Winter Park after he transferred from Lake Howell. He was a walk-on for UCF. So freshman wide receiver. We'll see if he actually redshirts or if he'll be able to contribute at all. But another, I didn't, I didn't expect to see that name on there. So I was pretty excited just to, just knowing who he is as a kid. He's a good kid, um, very athletic, has an opportunity to possibly contribute to UCF in the future. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Um, nice. And then at the tight end spot, so probably the most unknown i mean we got jake hescock who's a senior who we've heard his name you know for the last few years and he's now going to be possibly the guy and then we have a kid that transfers from a community college in zach marsh wojan um who might be able to contribute because i would definitely say this is the spot that to me you know losing michael kubiali and then before that you know we didn't have we lost jordan akins we haven't had like a true you know game-changing tight end over the, uh, I mean, going into this season, so very intrigued to see how this group actually plays out, especially with you know, we, I think pretty sure one of our players transferred this past off season as well. I mean, what I'm I'm confused. Is Kaluviali not on the team anymore? Like, what the hell? I thought he was here forever. You basically thought, he, yeah, he was. I think he would have been like an eighth year senior. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The tight end unit. I mean, as a UCF fan, you're kind of conflicted all the time because historically we're not used to to having that you know when we talk about like the O'Leary years and stuff you know it was never like a thing and then we get Jordan Akins and, and it's you're like kind of like whoa what's a tight end that can catch you know and so <laughs> I you know I think I think UCF fans are still getting used to that as being a feature of an offense and you know everything we've seen thus far is that 
you know, they use it well, but, you know, at the same time, it's like we have so many offensive weapons. I don't really see us leaning on it as much. But, I mean, Jake had some great catches last year, you know? Like, I mean, there is a few, especially at the Stanford game, I think he had a couple, and you're like, who's that wide receiver? And you're like, oh, whoa, that's the, one, of the, one of the new tight ends. So, um, yeah, we'll be fine there. Yeah, and, and like, yeah, Jake's, Jake's made some big plays, so um, I'm looking forward to seeing a few more. And then finally, the last group, the offensive line, the unsung heroes of any offense. I say that with complete conviction because I coached and played offense. No bias on my part, but the fat boys always need some love. Um, a lot of returners, thankfully. You know, we, we obviously lost Wyatt Miller a couple years ago. We, uh, we just recently lost Jordan Johnson, who graduated, who was a four-year starter for us, but still have some great talent. Coach Schneider, the guard, um, preseason all-AAC player, I think could end up actually being an All-American and arguably being one of the best offensive linemen to ever come out of the school. He's a redshirt junior. Parker Bordeaux's name. We got little he's, – he's a mini um, – God, what the hell is that, name? that wrestler's name? Um, Brock yeah, he's a mini, mini Brock Lesnar. It looks like he was basically born as a clone from Brock Lesnar who can contribute. I actually think, I think the most important part about this offensive line unit, and this falls on the fans as well, is to try and find the tag team name for Schneider and, and Bordeaux because they would win the tag team title in the WWE. I mean, Parker, like you said, he's Brock Lesnar incarnate. And then Cole Schneider was a state champion wrestler. I mean, they're both just these like beastly people. I mean, I, I would say let's call Vince McMahon, get them on the line. Let's 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 put the belts on the line. I'm tired of this. Like my money is on these boys. We just got to find a good tag team name. So we got to we got to huddle together with our collective hive mind as UCF Mafia. We got to find a tag team wrestling name for these two guys because they're monsters. That's going to be the big hashtag of the week. I'm going to be promoting that all over Twitter for the next five days. Yeah, for sure. Are, yeah, what's the, like. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's terrifying. I mean, I, you see how you see these kids. Like, I have, I want no. If I was on a football field, I want nothing to do with that pair on offensive line. You know, like you're going through some tables. You know, <laughs> like, you know? you're, you're being you're being choke slammed through a table. Not that anybody in this group would know what that's like. No, I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I literally don't have no idea what you're talking about. I do not remember any of that. So. We do have video footage of that. That'll have to go on Twitter as well. Um, oh, God. We got, we got a returning tackle in Sam Brown, who I believe was hurt last year, um, and he's coming back. And then uh, we got uh, two, new, two new faces I think could be an impact. We got Marcus Tatum, the transfer from Tennessee, who I think could be an immediate impact starter. He's going to be a senior. He's a graduate transfer. Um, so he's going to be able to help out the depth in the O-line. And then Matt Lee, who's uh, slotted in to be the new, uh, to be the new center coming out, um, coming out from uh, Jordan Johnson. So we'll see what those two can do to help the offensive line. But that kind of rounds out the offense. Offense, a deep, potent offense that I can think can score a lot of points and will definitely be in the top 10 in offenses in the nation once again. Totally. I mean, it, it's a total chainsaw offense, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to having tons of 50 burgers this year starting on Saturday against Tech. So, I, let, I mean, I, I cannot wait any longer. I'm stoked. <laughs> so going into the defense a little bit, we'll kind of run through, you know, defensive line, um, was very young last year. Thankfully, we got some talent coming back there with uh, Trey uh, Morris Brash. Um, you got Kenny Turnier, Noah Hancock at defensive tackle, Randy uh, Charlton, Cam Good. Uh, some depth there, good size too. I mean, none of these kids are tiny. They were fr- uh, quite a few were freshman sophomores yet last year. They put on some bulk. I've seen some photos. They look like they can be a beast. And I'll even say another kid that I didn't like expect to see on the roster and I completely forgot was walking on is another Lake Howell kid that I coached with, uh, Aiden Callahan, who 6'4", 220 pounds, one of the most athletic defensive ends I've ever had the pleasure of 
coaching with in high school. So I'm going to tell UCF Nation from firsthand experience, do not sleep on Aiden Callahan. I really think this kid as a walk-on can contribute to this defense day one. He gets after the quarterback, and he is one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. So I just want to put that out there that expect some big things from that name in the future. Mark my words. Yeah, I think out of all the units that you know we had with the 10 players sitting out, I think the defensive line was probably the one that um, might have been affected the most. But I, obviously there's enough talent there to be effective, especially looking at our linebacker unit. Um, you know, I think we could still get at a lot of quarterbacks, especially in the AAC. So, um, you know, at Georgia Tech, you know, that line is, was pretty suspect against FSU. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how good. I, I mean, I, I think there's enough talent there, like I said, to do some damage um, this season starting on Saturday. Agreed. So going to the next level, we got linebackers, two faces to remember. Uh, we got Eric Gilliard, who's coming back for his junior year, has been a stalwart. I mean, I was super excited when he was committed to UCF as a four-star linebacker. So the fact that he's grown into being, you know, one of the best middle linebackers in a school that traditionally has some great middle linebackers throughout its history um, with uh, with Plummer, you've got... Um, Oh, God. Uh, names are slipping me, of course, now that I'm on the mic. But Josh Lynham, uh, who was a defensive player of the year. I mean, great talent. Uh, we just talked about him, uh, Savage Pat. So I think yeah. Eric, Eric Gilliard is definitely in that breadth of great middle linebackers that have played for UCF. Uh, unfortunately, we do lose eight, Nate Evans in the offseason going to the NFL, actually playing for our Jacksonville Jaguars, which I'm very stoked about. He's one of the few nights that we actually decided to actually keep on the team. Um and Eric Mitchell. And who, we got Bruce Miller. I mean, and we and we got Bruce, Bruce Miller. Yeah, we we had a Bruce Miller first down on Sunday. I mean, I would. Yeah, I mean, that's what a time to be alive. <laughs> Never thought I'd hear that again. Um, yeah, seriously. Eric Mitchell filling in that role uh, where Nate Evans was on the field, um, who has plenty of experience. I mean, he was he was the rotational linebacker. We do run a traditional nickel defense, which means we only have two linebackers on the field as opposed to three. So we got four down linemen, two linebackers, and more DBs than we actually do linebackers. So uh, I think those two are very well experienced. They're going to hold down the middle pretty great for us. Depth is a little more suspect. You know, we have a lot of youth in the linebacking core, but thankfully they're headed by two great leaders that I think can really make a huge difference on this defense. I'm a huge um, Eric Gilliard guy. I mean, 904 kid, obviously not not biased at all. Um, but um, I mean, the guy just plays mean. He's tough. Um, he's gritty. He's exactly who you want. Um, he, I mean, he's he's now getting the point. You know, he's had some got some great sound bites in the interviews this preseason. So he's a leader, like you said. So. Super excited to see him step up this year. I think we're going to have a lot of big things. Um, and I think he's a huge uh, huge factor on that defense. Agreed. And so finally, this I would argue the strength of the entire team are defensive backs. Uh, we have... We had before Take Allen decided to opt out. All four of the defensive backs on this team were on the preseason award watch list for defensive backs in the nation. Which, I mean, I don't know how often that happens in college football, but to me sounds kind of unheard of but you know going down the list you got Richie Grant four-year starter I think is going to be an NFL player great kid Brandon Moore coming back from an injury obviously but had all the talent in the world and I expected to be a shutdown corner last year and finally the transfer who proved he was everything we hoped he'd be in Aaron Robinson who came to us from Alabama last year now like I said take Allen unfortunately um he's, he's made the decision to go to the NFL and will not be playing this year but still a lot of youth there and maybe one of those transfer kids can step into that role and make an impact for us Right, and I don't know what the status is of Bam Moore. 
currently. I know he's still he was still on the mend. Hopefully, you know, whether it's not outright at the beginning of the season, he can come back full strength at some point down the line, which you know I would expect he he will. Um, but yeah, we we had, we lost we lost Gallon, but I mean this is still enough talent to be a destructive unit in our conference, and you know I think if the if the end goal is just to win every game on the schedule, these guys are more than talented enough to cause havoc for any pass thrower in in in, in the American. So more than enough talent there to win, and you know I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm pretty stoked, especially, like I said earlier, uh, 23 points a game on defense, which was number 48 in the nation last year. But I think that number is going to go down. I can see it closer to maybe around like the 17, 18 point mark, um, which I think would push us more into the top 20 of defenses. I think the talent's there. We've got an awesome defensive coordinator, obviously, with Randy Shannon, uh, the, the halftime genius, the man who makes all of the adjustments. So really excited to see what happens with this team. Um, so now let's kind of go looking at our schedule try to do some predictions we obviously got a big game this week um against georgia tech which we talked a little bit about with uh, our our guest that we're going to have at the end of the show with mac Laudermilk. um so what are your thoughts on the georgia tech game how do you see that playing out you know the one thing that worries me about tech um their quarterback is is very talented i mean he led the team in rushing on saturday um you know he's an effective thrower. You know, and we've we've historically have had trouble with dual threat explosive quarterbacks and and with with big playmaking ability. So you know, I think that he could very well cause problems for our defense. Um, however, I, I mean, I wasn't. I'll be honest, not impressed with too much else. Um, and you know, in all things considered, even though. Um, Tech's QB is 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 good. I mean that this team didn't score until the second half, until the second half of the game. So, um, you know, I think I think it's a another another P five pelt on the wall for UCF. I think if you know it's a another trophy for us. You know, I think we win by at least two touchdowns on Saturday. I can definitely see that. I'm going to go away from actual athletes and talk a little bit about their coach Jeff John, uh, Jeff Collins who UCF Nation should know very well. Uh, He was the head coach over at Temple, and he actually was a coach under O'Leary for a couple years back in the late 2000s. I believe he was our linebackers coach and the recruiting coordinator under George O'Leary when we won one of our conference titles. So a guy that knows UCF from the inside, who played against UCF on the outside when I had coach at Temple, um, I think he is someone that can definitely cause some problems. He's got them on a huge change. I mean, you're talking about a program that with Paul Johnson – the great Paul Johnson, one of my favorite coaches of all time, who ran the triple option for, I think, almost two decades. And now you have a team that you know is coming out, going to the shotgun, actually slinging the ball around. Culture change. We'll see if actually Georgia Tech can turn it around, but I agree with you. I think UCF pulls out a pretty decent victory. It's not someone to slouch on. We can't sleep on that team, but I think we'll beat them pretty handedly. Yeah, and, and, and Coach Collins, I mean, he knows what he's getting with UCF. You know, there's no talk in that locker room about us being any kind of tune-up game or cupcake game. You know, I mean, he's all over the media saying, you know, we're one of one of the top ten programs in the country over the last three years, and you know, so they'll be ready to play. You know, there's no, you know, there's no, there's, we're not going to catch a sleeping Georgia Tech team. So I think, you know, I don't think we'll, we're going to blow the doors off, but you know, I think we'll win comfortably on Saturday. Okay, so game number two for UCF, we're at ECU. Uh, last year, I praised ECU quite a bit. I think they're a team that's on the up and up. They've got a great quarterback. They've got a great running back. They've got a, 
I think is eventually going to be a top five overall receiver. Um, so a team that is going to possibly be disruptive, we'll see how they play this year. I, I haven't got a chance. I don't think they've played yet. Um, but we're going to have them week two. A dangerous game for UCF being on the road. It's not a team they can sleep on. They can definitely disrupt this team. Yeah, it, it is the first game for ECU. Um, you know, I I don't know. I, I as as you you always want to you always want to to think. You know, I mean, if you're if you're at the bottom, you can only trend one way. Exactly. You know? <laughs> um, um, and actually, no, sorry, they, they they'll play Marshall this. Or no, the Marshall game was was postponed, right? Yeah, I believe so. I, yes. Yeah, it was post. So yeah, then that UCF game is is first. So, um, I, I think it's the first fifty burger for UCF this year. I think we're gonna, this is where we're going to see, you know, that offense really round into form, um, like we've talked about. We're going to see a, a huge win. I, I just think ECU's too far off. I mean, looking at how they played last year, I mean they they really limped it in and. You know, there's a lot of challenges this season with, with, with playing without fans, the disruption of COVID in practice. I mean, this team was stricken with some COVID cases, I believe. So, I mean, you have that another wrench catching UCF early in the season when you had people that couldn't, you know, players that couldn't play because of quarantining. I, I don't see how this is anything but a massive blowout. So, um, first, first 50 burgers served up for the Knights. And the player I was thinking of that I just said was a great wide receiver, C.J. Johnson, who was a freshman last year. I believe it was the uh, Memphis game that I was actually watching him play. And jaw to the floor was just out of this world. So keep an eye out for him when we actually end up playing um, ECU. I think he can be – I think he's the next big receiver that's going to come out of college football to the NFL. Um, so then a revenge game in week three against Tulsa. Um I think we smacked the living crap out of them. It's at home. There's no reason why we don't throw 60 on that team. What do you think? Um, I, I tend to agree. I think, I mean, there hasn't been too many embarrassing losses in our program in recent memory. I mean, you go back to that curable loss to Arkansas State and that being kind of like a, a last really disappointing loss. And you look how the team responded next year and look how Mackenzie Milton responded last year. And it, I mean, if we're looking at Dylan Gabriel as this, you know, cut from the same cloth as KZ, I think he's had his mind on this Tulsa game for a while, as as I do think most of the team has. And um, you know, and he said you said the games at, at at home at UCF probably won't be too many fans, but but Tulsa's used to playing in in front of no fans, so I don't <laughs> know if that's going to be a factor at all. Um, but yeah, I think I think the Knights win big again. This one should be a total. Um, bludgeoning. So then we get into week four. The I think a, the first true test um, with Memphis, who a lot of people predicted would be overcoming UCF this year as one of the top two teams in the AAC, uh, possibly competing with Cincinnati like last year for a conference title. Uh, how do you feel about Memphis now that they've lost their head coach? I you know what I think Memphis has just arrived at this point in their program where it doesn't matter anymore. I mean I'm I'm not going to go as far as to say that they're on, you know UCF's level of where you know we've had three coaches in a very short amount of time and all of them and that mostly or for the most part in that time period have been very successful in winning or competing in near six bowl games. I mean it just seems like at this point. Memphis is, has got it figured out. And am I going to say that they're going to be as good as last year? Who knows? Uh, but they will be competitive. Um, it's going to be a tough game. It's 
probably one of two games on our conference schedule you look at that you're actually really, really concerned about. But, um, yeah, going, going nights again. I mean, I, 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 I just love the concept that Memphis can never beat us, and so I'll be heartbroken when they finally figure it out. And uh, I've done, I, we've dealt with, with enough crap in 2020. Let, it, let us have this. Let us, let us have the fact that we just hold this carrot over Memphis's head one, one more year. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say nights, nights by 10 here. I'm going to go nights by three. I think that that's going to be one of the true tests. If, if there was a slip-up game, I think this is it. I think b- being that we're on the road, it's against a team, like you said, that hasn't beat us since like 1991, 1992, something like that. So if there was going to be a chance that Memphis catches us, I think this is it. I still don't think it ended up happening. I think we do pull that victory out. Um, we talked a little bit about Tulane, the wave, the beautiful uniforms, that powder blue, that green, the angry wave uh, logo. We get them at home. I think it's a shellacking, personally. I think this will be a good, probably three-touchdown victory. Your thoughts on uh, Tulane at home in Week 5? Um, like we spoke about earlier, it just doesn't seem Tulane's there yet. I mean, they're, they're getting better every year, and I think eventually, you know, they kind of remind me in a lot of ways of, of what Memphis was. You know, like, you slowly start seeing the culture turn a corner and people caring, and, like, you know, they, have, they, they put the new stadium down. There's more in, an involvement, you know, with the fan base. People just seem to care more. And so after a while, I think you invest enough, you know, enough people come to your games, there's enough attention to it that you're going to turn the corner. It's just not this year. So I, I think Knights win by three scores. Good stuff, good stuff. So we got Houston. Um, week six, we're at Houston. I was actually hoping to eventually try to make my way to this game. I think that'll be a fun game. Um, I think it should be a victory handedly for UCF as well, even though we're on the road, a team that doesn't have the talent like they've had in the past. Uh, but still, you know, you, you can never put Houston truly out because I think they're, as you described, I, th- I think they're what Memphis has tried being for the last 10 years. They, they're consistently fairly good. Um, they were, if I recall, the first ranked team we've ever beaten um, way back in like 2009, 2010. So right. I, I think a team that we should handedly beat, even on the road, you know, I don't truly see a slip up. I know this is one of the games that has a higher percentage of a loss for us on this in terms of uh, when you're looking at the predictions on ESPN. But I still think will be a handed victory for UCF. I agree, and you know, like just like Memphis, we like we spoke about Houston's just at a point in their history where, at least within our conference, and at least where they're at, it, they're always going to have, um, you know, some kind of foothold, and they're going to have their crap together at least to be competitive. And, you know, that, you know, Dana Holgerson there, I mean, the guy, that guy's, you know, a proven winner. You know, he's going to figure it out eventually, but um, it's just tough right now. I feel like they're still on the come up. I think that game will be a lot closer than what people think. I think this will be a little bit of a scare. So, I'll, you know, but I'll say Knights, you know, Knights by, by a touchdown. Good stuff. Uh, Temple at home. Uh, first of two back-to-back home games for UCF, which home, UCF does not have – any back-to-back to games except for these two weeks. Uh, but we have Temple. I don't think Temple is what they've been to us in the last few years. I mean, they were really difficult two years ago. Uh, last year, eh, I, I, th- I think the talent is slowly draining from that program. Um, I think the, I don't think the bleeding stops with us. I think we're able to handle them at home by a decent margin. I would say the Knights by 17. I agree. I mean, Temple last year didn't have a bad year by any means. 
Um, they had that win over Maryland early on, but then, you know, they followed that up with, you know, getting, getting, having a tough loss to Buffalo. Um, you know, they, they, I mean, they were pretty good last year. They got shellacked by UNC in the, in the bowl game. Um, you know, that's, this won't be a cakewalk game either. It'll be, it'll be tough, but again, I think at, at home, you know, I, I think, I think comfortably 10 point win. All right. So the game of the year, arguably, uh, I saw on an ESPN statistic that this is actually listed as one of the top five games of the college football season, UCF versus Cincinnati at home, another opportunity where maybe college game day decides to make their way over to Orlando and actually have another game day here. Um, knowing the implications of what Cincinnati can bring, because there's a lot of talk that we'll get to a little bit after our, our, we're talking about the schedule, where that could be a play-in to the college football uh, playoff. So with that said, Cincinnati at home, I mean, at UCF, um, I think the Knights squeak it out. We, we played them really tough last year. They, they have that the quarterback Ritter's coming back. They got two great running backs, a stacked team with a really good coach who just signed an extension for them. What are your thoughts on this game? Uh, you know, the thing that worries about this game is that this is this is the toughest game on the schedule. It's the game that means the most, and it's basically, you know, at that point is our season because you would hope that, you know, you know, like every single game on our schedule so far is, you know, not not a, not a big threat. So you would hope that going into this game, we're undefeated. Um, this this game could be the whole season, and it's so late in the year, and with the current climate, with with COVID and everything else, like, you know, how many of it, are we going to have more players opt out? Are we going to have players to get sick and have to quarantine? Like, because this game is going to be tight enough to where we could not afford to probably not go in without, you know, all of our all of our guns um, locked and loaded. So that worries me that it's that late in the year. Um, if everyone is 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 good to go and you know everyone lines up and suits up, you know, I. I like to think the Knights rise to the occasion. They have done that time and time again over the last few years. Um, you know, I think it's going to be it's going to be tight. I do, and uh, you know, they they as as good as our offense is, Cincinnati's secondary is right there with ours. Also very good. It'll be a huge test for Dylan Gabriel, but I think he's ready, and I think this is going to be a huge validator of you know, DG being elite. So I'm looking forward to it. Huge game. Probably going to be game day. Uh, go Knights by 10. Yeah, I like it. Uh, and finally, we got USF at USF this year. Um, not the USF fold, obviously, uh, that gave us, you know, close games like we did in 2017. I think this is a handed win. I think that at this point in the season, they should be fairly demoralized after getting smacked around by quite a few teams. Um, so I predict this to be a pretty handed victory, especially if we, regardless if we come off a victory or a loss at Cincinnati. I think if we come off a victory, it's it's the the game that slams the door shut and puts an exclamation point in the season. And if God forbid we actually have a letdown against Cincinnati, it's the makeup game where we say we're going to stomp a mud hole in someone's behind for what just happened last week. So I don't give USF too much of a shot this year. I think this is the year that we finally tie them at six and six, and they have no more bragging rights other than their stupid number two ranking for one week ten years ago as something they can brag about. I mean, that's got to be it, right? Like, you know, just just tying it up like i don't have to hear matt grothy right like mouthing off on twitter anymore about games that happened while we were in college you know like at this like i just can't wait 
for us to finally tie this series up and just and just get over that nonsense as if like it has any validity in this argument anymore that they're anywhere close to being on our level. Um, I remember, you know, there there was talk earlier on when this happened that you know UCF was looking at or the American was looking at a conference only schedule, and there might have been a possibility we would have had to play USF twice in one year, which actually would have been hilarious <laughs> if one year we beat them twice and then take the record to six and five um but i'll settle for five and five this year and i'm very elated to watch us bludgeon a team that could only put seven points up on citadel in the first quarter uh last weekend so it's i think it's going to be get out of hand very quickly so schedule predictions we got booze with a hopeful 11 and 0 record same with steven um so looking for uh, which should be an undefeated year from UC. I mean, I mean, it's easy when you look at these games to say that we're going to go undefeated. It is so hard in a college football season. We should season. win every. We sh, we sh, it's easy to say, and you know we're obviously spoiled between not only the fact that we did have two back-to-back regular undefeated seasons, but also last year, as you mentioned, like we lost three games, but they were all within single digits. So, I mean, and you could have that could have easily been another undefeated year. So, you know, on paper. I think if, if we don't go undefeated, it will be a little bit of a downer because I think you look at these games and we can win every single one. You know, I think it's a true possibility. And we're actually predicted, when you're looking at a game-by-game comparison on ESPN, on Pro Football Focus, we're looking at an undefeated year. Uh, we're favored in every game that we play, which is an awesome feeling, but like we just got done saying, it's so hard to do that in college football. It is so hard to get 50, 60, 70 18 to 20 year olds to get up every single week and give forth their best effort when everyone's trying to rip your head off. So hopefully we'll see right. that actually happen. But then let's get into like, you know, we make, we, we make an undefeated run. We do it. We beat Cincinnati. We beat the snot out of USF by 50. And then you're looking at an undefeated UCF team with two conferences who opted to not play football this year. So you've got the, what you can argue is the power three and then the American who is better than the PAC 12 in traditional rankings last year, who you can argue was in the power five. If you want to, you know, get into that depth of college football with an undefeated team that has been hyped for the last three years as being a national title contender. What do you do and how do you think that actually plays out for UCF? Could this be the year that we actually get the invite? I, you know what? I'm just, and this this is nothing to do. Obviously, you've heard me talk ad nauseum about this, like when we're when we hang out and stuff. But like, I just don't. Nothing against UCF as a team. I think, I think UCF hangs with anyone anywhere. You know, but just I just have no faith in what the college football playoff is. And so, you know, it. I understand that, you know, the, the Pac-12 is not playing. The Big Ten voted today that they wanted to play. I don't think anything's totally official yet, but I, it sounds like they are playing. But for argument's sake, let's say that they're not. Let's say that even though the news broke recently that they will, let's, let's say that they're not. Let's say it's three conferences. I mean, the winner of the SEC is getting it no matter what. It doesn't matter who it is. If you win the SEC, you're in. Clemson is going to get in. You know, like even, I think a, even a one-loss Clemson team you know, whether they lose to Notre Dame or whoever, or whoever, I think whoever wins the ACC is getting in, especially with the fact that Notre Dame is there, is there now, you know, like the winner of the ACC is getting in, um, you know, 
Oklahoma's probably going to win the Big 12 again. Um, they've gotten in every year. I don't think that's going to be any different. That leaves a fourth spot. Well, what would, you know, I think UCF would have an argument over an ACC number two or a Big 12 number two, but what has the committee shown us that would that would make you think that they wouldn't just put another SEC team in? I mean, I think they easily would. Um you know, like I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any reason. And again, I'm not. I'm not arguing for that. I just think that's the reality. And so I don't think there's anything that UCF can do to get in. I just think the whole system's rigged, and it is what it is. And you know, I think it's it's going to be near six again. But I'm not sure it's going to be a playoff. So it's it's frustrating, but it is what it is. I'm in total agreement with you. I think that if there was ever a year that's going to expose the CFP for exactly what it is, it would be a year like this year, where if a undefeated UCF team is sitting on the outside with, even even if the Big Ten does end up actually playing, which I think that whole situation is so stupid and how they opt out and the fact that they think they can scramble and put a, put a football conference season together with the games that they've already canceled out of conference and all that stuff, it, it's going to be nigh impossible for them to get truly back on track, but... With that said, for UCF to possibly be standing on the outside looking in and still not get in with as tumultuous as this season could be with COVID ravishing everything and knocking a complete Power 5 conference out, I think would be hopefully the catalyst for major change in college football that people would, they couldn't neglect it. They couldn't overlook it anymore in that regard. I think, I, I think it could be the best thing that happens to the G5 as if a G5 team doesn't make it this year. I think I think there's a lot of merit in that. I think that's fair. I think also what it does is it, right now because UCF can't control what the committee does and what you know the biased P5 narrative or how the biased P5 narrative plays out right now. It's out of their control. But what they can do is continue to be in a national conversation, and you do that by constantly getting these near six games and 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 being competitive and winning them, you know? Um, and so I think it's deflating for a lot of UCF fans to think, oh, well, there's no way we can make the playoff, but that doesn't mean that there's not a goal here. And, you know, so I think we as UCF fans should celebrate the idea that, oh, you know, we're going to another New Year's Six. Like, I think it's easy to lose sight of that and be upset and feel cheated, but as long as we're in these big time games and competing and winning them, that's a win from our position because I mean, you're looking at the COVID climate right now and there's athletic departments that are canceling programs because they're running out of money. And there's, you know, television as we know it is changing. These TV contracts are changing. You know, realignment is imminent more so than it has been anywhere recently in recent memory, you know? So as long as we're, we can't afford at this time to have another winless season, you know, that's what you have to avoid. So as long as we're just still in the national conversation, I think UCF fans should be proud of that. And so here's to another undefeated season. Here's to, you know, whether it's in the playoff or just in the New Year's Six, just being there and just being on people's minds because as soon as that a spot opens, you want to be first in line. I think right now UCF absolutely is first in line. Agreed 100%. And so now we're going to segue in. We got an awesome guest who's joining the show, a uh, player that was 
fairly beloved by UCF Nation for the five uh, four years that he was playing here, but he was here obviously for a redshirt year as well. We got former UCF player Mac Lauderman joining Michael the show. Michael Cooley, No, that, that, that's not. No, we're not talking seven or eight years. We're talking only five, unfortunately. Uh, but former punter Mac Lauderman joins Three Night Bender. Very awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, we're it's we're we're pleased as punch, man. So, um. First, just just want to start out like, what have you been up to since you last laced up with UCF? It's been, you know, two years and or two, at least a last football season. But uh, yeah, just what have you been up to recently? Um, recently, I've just been training, uh, trying to stay ready for when that call comes. Um, I've lost a, a good amount of weight. I've grown my beard and my hair back out. So uh, just trying to be in the best shape as possible for whenever that call comes. I'm ready for the opportunity. Yeah, and, um, and you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, like you know, we, we always hear these stories of guys really, you know, going through that meat grinder of of the unknown of uh, you know training on your own and trying to find you know that next that next step into professional football. And you know, first off, I mean, have you had any any luck so far? And secondly, just talk about some of the challenges with COVID. And you know, like it's it's hard enough, you know, trying to go out there and impress an NFL team, but you're doing it now in this unprecedented time, you know, what, what's that been like? Yeah. So really that second part of the question kind of plays off into the, the first part of your question. Um, normally in the NFL off season, they start, they have workouts and fly guys in to get a look at them and everything. But since COVID happened, you know, that couldn't really happen. And so this entire off season has been kind of weird um, just because none of the facilities are open to bring guys in and get a look at them. And so uh, for me, I'm, been doing uh i film at least once a week um and this all started back in january even before when the quarantine hit and covid became a global issue but uh i have a youtube channel that i just i post i try to post at least once a week depending on how the weather's doing and just showing that you know i'm consistent and i'm ready and so whenever uh, a coach hears my name and they have to wonder if, if uh what i'm what my ball looks like how i'm hitting it they can easily just go and search my name my youtube page pops up and I have a, a Google document that has every single kick charted out, all the hang, distance and hang times. And so it's just I'm trying to do whatever I can to make sure just whenever, you know, the next step comes, I'm ready and I'm going to do my job. And just this whole want like, because normally I'm used to having coaches input, and, but now it's me. I'm, I'm making my own workouts. I'm doing my own punting routine on punting schedule and uh, it's just kind of been good for me to kind of learn what works for me and my body that helps me perform up to to my expectations awesome and yeah i've seen those videos on your instagram and on your youtube page so that's pretty awesome um talking about you know kicking you had you as a combo with uh matt wright matty ice and louder milk was arguably one of the best duos that we had in UCF football history in terms of special teams, which really got to be the best. Come on. It's gotta be the best. I'll just give it, I'll give, we'll give it the number one spot. And you know, on on swagger alone, on swagger alone, complete swag. Um, but with that said, you know, you, that, that gave like a whole new cohesiveness to the, like, I think, you know, sometimes you have teams with a great offense. Sometimes you have teams with a great defense, when you have special teams that go with a great offense and defense, it really just you know solidifies the team as a whole, and it just feels like an elite team. Um, so, just talking about moments that you and Matt had, like, what would you say is your favorite moment as a special teams group? Um, that, reflecting on your time at UCF. 
Oh man, there's a there's a lot, but the one that kind of sticks out to me would be Memphis. My senior year, whenever we were at Memphis, and it was right before halftime, and uh, Matt, me, me, Matt, and Caleb had to go out when it was pretty cold. It was a little little rainy that day. Matt had to make a field goal to kind of give us some juice before going into halftime. And uh, we go out there, and he goes, I know this guy's going to try to ice me. And so, sure enough, you know, whistle blows right before I give my cadence. He ices him. Matt goes through a little dry run and kind of gives a little half swing into this kick. And he goes, yeah, I got him that time. And so I just kind of laughed and looked at him, and then we got down. Uh, they used their last time out on that ice, and then we went down for the real thing. And sure enough, Matt puts a 48-yard field goal right down the middle to lead us to get us some points going into halftime. And just like I, he just called it, he's like, I knew that was going to happen. So we saved this good kick for after that timeout. And so uh, just the the kid is Matty Ice is something else. But we couldn't even do our job without our boy Caleb Perez, who is an awesome long snapper and truly truly a warrior because he played his last season with a torn ACL and he didn't let that slow him down. So he was snapping and getting down, covering kicks all while his uh, ACL was hanging on by a thread in his knee. And so uh, we just, that our, our group was truly a bond just because really we came in as freshmen and we were all roommates and a uh, good old towers room three twelve and tower four. And so I there were my, my boys from day one and just kind of being around them for that amount of time. It was, our bond was pretty solid on and off the field. Yeah. And to follow that up, you know, cause I know, I know Maddie's kind of, you know, going through his own journey, um, you know, finding, finding his stuff. Cause he, he was with the Steelers last year. Right. And I think, is he still on, he's still on the team or. No, he, he got released last off season or last preseason rather. Yeah. So do you, yeah, do you guys still – I mean, are you guys still kind of keeping in touch? I'm sure, you know, still touching base and maybe pushing each other, and, and I'm sure that bond, like, means a lot to you guys, yeah? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I check on – I try to check in with Matt and Caleb right, probably around uh, once every uh, every week or so, maybe sometimes every two weeks. But uh, just trying to check on my boys, seeing how they're doing and everything. Yeah, I mean, and, and like James said, you know, watching you guys was – you know, I mean, just – you know, performance-wise, was on another level. I don't think we've ever seen, as UCF fans, how how talented of a group you guys had. But also, you know, you talk about how much branding and how much, um, you know, like showmanship and pageantry is important in college football. And, you, you know, if you really want to make a mark, you kind of have to stick out. And what you guys did with your the sellies and, and, you know, shotgunning beers and you're hitting pitching wedges in, into, into end zones whenever you stick it close and, you know, you know, when Barstool confirms that and you guys kind of get on there, I mean, what was that like seeing them talk about your how much fun you guys are having as a confirmation of like, yeah, I mean, to me, because to me, I was like UCF's made it now as, as a huge brand, you know, and that I think that was pretty cool. Uh, it was I thought it was pretty awesome because it got us out there on the I mean, our celebrations were on the opening of college game day last year. It was last year, the year before of me, Caleb, and Matt doing our whole shotgun celebration. But uh, it brought a lot of attention to us, that's for sure. And so, if anything, it made us perform better because we kind of knew that, you know, if, if we goof up, then it's, it's going to be all those all those specials just want to do little celebrations afterwards. And so, uh, we, we, it put like a little chip on our shoulder to make sure that we did our job uh, so we could celebrate in the first place. And so, we didn't want to be the, those guys who are just out there doing a half-assed job on the field and then celebrating no matter what. 
we want to make sure it's a good play that we're celebrating, and we kind of took pride in that. Yeah, you can't be you can't pull a Miami and wear the commando fatigues and, and then get stomped. So, uh, yeah. but you, luck, luck, luckily, we never had that with you guys. You guys were were flawless and kicked ass all the time. So it was just so much fun watching all that. Yeah, so that's just we 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 had a mentality. Uh, our senior year was a one shot one kill mentality. Uh, we only get one opportunity to do this rep. There's no do overs, so we just might as well go all out for it. Hey, man, you had quite the repertoire of celebrations in, you know, your experience. What was your favorite one uh, to do on the field? Um, I would have to say the, the pitching wedge, the one that got it all started. But uh, it, was, it was a pretty close tie with the whole home run thing because that game against UConn when it hit the 60, the 69-yard punt, that celebration after that was nothing but just pure emotion and excitement. But uh, I think my favorite one to do would be the chipping, the pitch shot, chipping wedge. Are you a big golfer normally, or did that was spur of the moment? No, I, I like to play golf every now. So right now, I live with my mom and dad, so uh, they're not really charging me rent or anything while I'm doing this whole NFL journey. And so, uh, luckily enough, we actually live on a golf course, and so my backyard is a 15th tee box. And so, whenever I want, I can just walk outside with my clubs, play about six or seven holes, and then come back home before dinner's ready. And so, I That's try awesome. to play golf. A decent amount, but uh, the game's still pretty bad. Not gonna lie. But if only I could get the way I punt. <laughs> Is there any other players on from your class or on the team now that were into golf, and how how bad or good are their golf games comparatively to yours? Uh so uh, every during the uh, almost every weekend, me and uh, my group of boys. So me. Caleb, Matt, Wyatt Miller, Joey Connors, Pat Jasinski, Tyler Hudanik, uh, Jake Hescock would come with us some. We would all go out to uh, the golf course uh, usually every Saturday after our workouts were done and everything, and we'd try to play at least 18 holes once a week during the off season. And so uh, no, none of us were exceptionally good. We would have our, our good days and bad days. We did a lot of scrambles playing best ball. And so uh, – but – um, out of that group, I would probably say me or Matt Wright probably has the best golf game, golf game out of that group during that time period. Now, after everyone is kind of done and doing their own separate thing, maybe somebody's gotten golf lessons now. I have no idea. But uh, back in the days, in the college days, it would be me or Matt probably had the best game out of my whole group. Savage Pat looks like he, he's he's got a, a pretty strong driver in his bag. I mean, I'd be terrified. Savage. Yeah, that's Pat. When he gets a hold of one, it's gone. It's, he's, he's driving at 312 in the hair. But, uh, yeah, Savage Pat can get a hold of one when he does. Um, nice. Maybe – I mean, I would love – you know, I don't know if this is a thing on the football team, but doing, like, alumni golf outings and stuff, I've always been – because there's a lot of teams that do that, especially in the SEC where there's – you know, there's – everyone has a, great, a fantastic golf team. It's – I always wondered if UCF would ever do anything like that and just getting some of the older guys back to mingle. So, you know, maybe we'll yeah, see UCF you and Maddie out there on Scramble or something, you know? Yeah, hopefully. Uh, they didn't get to do it this year because of the whole global pandemic, but normally they have a little golf thing. I think it's before either before camp starts or before the first game of the season. I forget which one it is. But uh, they, they try to do a little golf scramble for all the alumni and the Letterman guys to come out there and whack a few balls around. Nice. Um, just want to say, oh, go ahead, James. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, Steve. No, I was going to say, um, just segueing into, you know, it's having, having someone on the, on the line here that's, that's played 
all four years at UCF or played all four years at UCF. But then not only that, but at such a transformative time in the program and been through, you know, so many different iterations of the squad and, you know, by and large, mostly all successful. But, you know, playing, you know, having experience with O'Leary and, and, and Scott and, and Heupel, you know, like what's what has been that what was like what was that like being, you know, through those transitions and what are some of the differences maybe culturally or you know, just anything that you notice because I mean, yeah, there's just not like too many guys that have that that insight that you do. Yeah, so uh there all three coaches have their own different coaching styles. Um the biggest difference that being O'Leary is kind of the outlier in those three because O'Leary being being an older guy, been around for a long time. Um, he was more or less, I don't want to say a dictator because he wasn't a dictator, but he, he was a very disciplinary type of guy towards like, if you're, we had team meetings every Sunday that started at six 30, but they were over by six 20, you know I mean? They, every, the meeting started 15, 20 minutes early. So if you're on time, you're late. And that's kind of one thing he wanted to instill in us players. It's just that, you know, it's that being on time is not good enough. It's the little things that really matter being, being 10, 15 minutes earlier to everything, making sure you, you look nice, making sure you're presentable to people outside the community. And then whenever Frost came, it was it was uh, definitely a big-time cultural difference just because of the kind of guy he is. He's a very hands-on coach. When we played Navy, he was running the option offense for the scout offense, you know. And uh, just him, he would come in the – I'll never forget, he came in the weight room with us one day. We were doing uh, hand clings, and, you know, we are 30 minutes in the workout and he just walks in there and picks up 275 pounds and hang clings it three times and then walks out. And then after every, every practice he's running laps on the track or running stadiums. And he's just always, he was a young, a young athlete at heart still. He might've been 40 years old, but you never would have guessed. And then Heupel, he was still a, he was still a very much of a player's coach, but he wasn't as hands-on as Frost was. He wasn't out there running the scout offense where we played Navy or anything like that. But you could tell that, it took a lot for us to buy in to what Hypo was doing just because of, you know, how, how used to frost we were to frost and everything. But at the end of the day, uh, we bought into Hypo that first year and we, we believed what he was laying out there for us. And sure enough, we got the job done. And sadly, we lost one game by eight points to an LSU team. But uh, it was, I, I always say I had the, the biggest blessing in college from seeing the highest of the highs, winning the Peach Bowl, going 13 and 0. And the lowest of the lows with uh, that 0-12 year, you know, is uh, I got to be in the valley and the peak of uh, college sports. And I'll always say that, you know, be, you know, winning matters because losing really sucks, especially when you lose 12 games in a season. Oh, amen to that. Um, you know, just going, I mean, you, you got to experience, you just said the lowest of the low and the highest of the high. You know, how did you feel with, you know, our – athletic director Danny White coming out making that pro- proclamation of being a national champion that whole thing that w- it was so controversial in college football even though it shouldn't be considering there is no official FBS national championship and everything is still technically considered a selector but you know mm-hmm. that the whole thing came about like what is your opinion on how that you know played out what did you think about that statement um and you know the the, the lasting impact it's had not only for UCF but in college football I love it because, you know, quite honestly, I don't I don't think that the college football playoff is the best uh, way to determine, you know, what the best or who the best college football team in the nation is whenever there's, you know, half half of the teams get counted out already before week one even starts. 
You know, um, I think there's a reason why you actually play the games and you don't just play them on paper. And I think that whenever we beat Auburn, it kind of shows that um, whenever your national champion, in air quotes, goes uh, doesn't even win their division that year, how can you call them the best team in college football? You know, clearly they weren't the best team that week or else they would have won and would have beat Auburn. So I think, uh, you know, that's, that's a big issue. I'm, I'm totally behind when Danny White said that. I'm totally behind whenever uh, Mackenzie Milton said you can just cancel the college football playoff now because, I mean, we were the only team to do to go undefeated that year. And so I'm sure there'll be naysayers saying you didn't play anybody, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not easy to go undefeated no matter who you play. There's always trap games. Um, there's always those, those sneaky underdogs. And, uh, you know, I just think you have to be able to play your best game week in and week out to go undefeated. And we did that. You know, we showed that we had the high-powered offense. We had an amazing defense. Our special teams were solid on uh, uh, both punt and the return games. And so I just think, you know, what we did that year, it's no one can deny it. We were the only team to go undefeated. We're in the record books, so they can all suck it up. And I have a nice, shiny national championship ring that I'll be glad to show anybody that's on my middle finger. So... <laughs> I have the page of the NCA record book where it lists UCF as acknowledged national champions. I have it saved on my phone to this yeah. day just so that when I have family members or friends of old blue blood p- programs, I just got so tired of Googling it. I just like having it readily accessible on my phone at all times so I could just pull it out. Like, I feel like that's, yeah. you almost need it at this point, you know, because it's so yeah. ridiculous. Like, I didn't write the rule book. What are you mad at me for? Like, call, write, a, write a letter to the NCAA, you know? Like, we did our jobs yeah. out here, you know? Um, or not, we, we you guys did the job. Do. Yeah, you know, so, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, you guys, I felt like those years, you guys were what college football needed. And there's never been, like, a, a team that played by the books that broke through that mold of have and have nots, right? You have to be a disruptor and everything about, y'all's team whether it was from the top down you know all the way to the locker room and we talk about you know you guys celebrating on the special teams and it ruffled some feathers but you have to be a disruptor so you guys did that so well those years and i think that's why people care now so i mean yeah Yeah. you you guys did phenomenal so i had i had no issue with being a villain in the college football world that year you know i'll I'll, (laughs) I'll more than happily shake the feathers for that if it it gets because i think it's just kind of you know, it's, it's absurd whenever you want to limit somebody say, oh, they're not power five. They can't be a national champion. Screw that. Well, I mean, put us put us on the field at the 50-yard line, us against them. We will gladly play whoever, whenever, and we'll get the job done. Our attitude that year, we were ready to take on the world after, after that game. You couldn't tell us anything. I'm ready to run through a wall right now. Oh, here, my God. I just get so, so fired up, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've been staring at yeah. the, I've been staring at the exterior wall, just wondering if I can actually go through it right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you know, I think you know, in UCFs, they've 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 kind of owned the, the reputation now of you know, kind of collecting these these P five in quote pelts, if you will, the last few years, you know, like um, and getting these trophies. And the squad has a good opportunity this weekend to get another one in uh, Georgia mm-hmm. Tech. Now, you're a Georgia boy, um, you know, as you said before the interview, you're grew up a UGA fan. So I know you have some, some, some deep hate for uh, the rambling wreck out there in Atlanta. So just give us your thoughts on tech and how's it going to go down this weekend? Yeah, never been a tech fan, but I will say they, they impressed me this weekend playing Florida state. 
You know, I think that young quarterback they had was pretty sporty. He made a couple of freshman mistakes and uh, not not leading that receiver enough. Uh, whenever Asante Samuel's boy picked off that uh, that ball near the end zone, if he'd have put just a touch more air on it and got over that corner, that would have been a touchdown all day. But I think uh, they're they're still kind of regrowing from that whole triple option offense. Um, they got athletes, there's no doubt about that. But uh, it's just going to be, you know, if, can can we can our defense just wreak havoc on that young offense they have? Can we bring different blitzes from different areas where that offensive line is just not ready to see? And can uh, can Dylan Gabriel come out slinging that thing like he did last year and picking apart that defense? I think uh, it's like what Mike Gilliard said this weekend. It's like we're not – this season's not about proving anyone wrong. It's proving that we're right. We know – you see it. These boys on the team know what they're capable of doing, and now it's just – all up to them going week in and week out performing how they know they can perform. And I think this is a great opportunity against a pretty good tech team this weekend to go out and show that this first game of their season is going to be, you know, it's going to set the, set the stage for this season, I think. Absolutely. We're freaking excited for the game. We're glad to have college football back. And absolutely, you know, we're just, and we're, and we're, and we're glad you took, you know, a good 20 minutes of your time to just get up on here and talk football with us go over some of your experience. So thank you for having us. Thank you for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. I love doing these type of things. Just get to talk football and my experiences. So any, anytime I'll be more than happy to come back and do this again. Yeah. And you know, like, you know, like we've kind of, we've, we've got, got a little out of breath saying this, but you know, you're, you're just such a fixture on the team for so long. And, you know, you got a lot of people that are still keeping tabs on you and, and watching your journey. So, you know, you definitely have an army behind you pulling for you. And, it, you know, I think the trend of the last few years with UCF has been, you know, like we've been lucky to have an inside peek at all these athletes and have been telling the world, like, there's good talent here. And then people catch on. We've been kind of saying, I told you, I told you so, you know, with, you know, um, you know, like, you know, the Griffin brothers and, you know, these all these guys explode. So I think you're really you're really right there. And, you know, I can't wait to tell people, you know, I told you so. And, you know, I think UCF fans know know what you're about. So we're looking forward to you doing big things, man. And like Buzov said, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep hacking away at this NFL dream until I just can't really do it anymore. So uh, I'm looking forward to one day getting my opportunity, getting my chance of just running with it and not, not looking back, quite honestly. All right, and that's going to do it for today's episode of Three Night Bender, uh, just the shameless plugs. You can always find me on Twitter at, at Coach Buzos. Obviously, our substitute teacher co-host, Stephen, you can find him at, at... Stephen, what's your at? I don't even remember what your at is. Oh, wow, I'm wounded. I know, uh, I'm at, so sorry. At, at Diaggy Doggy. That's I'm what on, I... I'm on, uh, I thought I'm it was at... Okay, at Diaggy Doggy. I feel like a... Okay, I feel like a jackass. I'm so sorry. I should have known that. You should. Yeah. It's okay. You're just getting you're just getting back at me for 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 stomping you in fantasy this week. It's all right. It's <laughs> um, you can obviously also follow our uh, other co-host Todd Hauser at, at @HauserTube. Uh, make sure to kind of give us a look at uh, Facebook. You can you can follow our page. Check out our Instagram page. I'm not gonna lie. My wife runs our social media for Instagram, and she is a freaking stud. We don't really post a lot of pictures, but her stories are off the chain, and she stays on top of all the daily news and posts every single day. So give a check on Three Night Bender on Instagram for some good content there. And thanks again for listening. We appreciate it, and we'll catch you next time. See y'all.